The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. Is it possible for a Christian to be carnal? And does believing in Christ for eternal salvation require a decision? You've tuned in to Grace in Focus from the Grace Evangelical Society. Welcome. We're glad you're here with us today. You can find us here every Monday through Friday. Be sure to go to our website, faithalone.org. Come see what we are about, and there you will find our daily blogs and a lot of other resources. That's faithalone.org. Now with today's discussion, here are Bob Wilkin and Steve Elkins. Well, Steve, we've got a few more words. I've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five more key soteriology words. And the first is carnal Christian. And this has been a big controversy in the Lordship Salvation debate. John MacArthur had a lot to say about the so-called carnal Christian in the gospel according to Jesus. So what is a carnal Christian according to Scripture, and then what is it according to people who hold the Lordship of salvation? Dr. Chafer wrote a great book called He That Is Spiritual. Yes. And he says there's three kinds of men, especially based on 1 Corinthians 3. There's the natural man, a person who's not a believer. Right. And then there are believers, but as believers, there's two categories that Paul speaks of here, spiritual believers and carnal believers, carnal from sarcos, fleshly. Yes. But by carnal here, he's referring to babes in Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people or spirituals is what it the is. The pneumaticoi, yeah. But as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. He goes on to say, I fed you with milk and not solid food, and even now you're still not able to receive it, for you are still carnal. And, of course, we often say the Corinthian church was the most carnal of all the churches that Paul wrote. What do we mean? Well, ultimately, what is clear, I think, from 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3 or 1 through 4, is that all baby Christians are carnal. Because is it verse 3 where he says you still live like mere men? Yeah. Like the natural man? Right. That's true of baby Christians. But the Corinthians had been believers for four to five years when he wrote this letter. And verse 3 starts out with the Greek word still, eti. And he's saying, look, that shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have to be five years still in diapers, spiritually speaking. They were still baby Christians. A person advances from being a baby Christian to a spiritual Christian when they receive solid food. Mm -hmm. So first they start out with the milk of the word and then advance to the meat of the word. Remember, there's a verse that says we're not to make a, a new convert or a new believer an elder. Well, there needs to be a few years of growth before a person becomes spiritually minded. So we certainly wouldn't make a brand new believer an elder, even if they were 50 years old or 60 years old. And even if they were nice, even if this was, you know, Ozzie Nelson, remember from Ozzie and Harriet, wonderful guy. And if he comes to faith, he'd be a great guy from the get go, but that doesn't make him mature. Right. And when he's talking about spirituals, the spiritual men are people who take in the word and through the help of the Holy Spirit, they understand, they combine the thoughts and cross-reference it, et cetera. They study God's word. So they become spiritual. And verse 16 says what? First Corinthians 2.16? It says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So the, the spiritual believer has the mind of Christ. They mm-hmm. do know the mind of the Lord. Our worldview is different than the worldview 
of both the natural man and the baby Christian. Yeah. And that's why Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. Christianity is really a battle for the mind. Sure is. Now, what would Lordship Salvation people say a carnal Christian is? I'm not sure what they would say because many of them deny there are carnal Christians to begin with. Exactly. So they would say a carnal Christian is an unbeliever. Yeah. Unregenerate because there is no such thing as a carnal believer. There's a guy at a church that's a young preacher at a church that my friends used to go to, but they quickly exited. He's a disciple of John MacArthur. He was going to preach through 1 Corinthians. When he got to 1 Corinthians 3 about the carnal Christian, and especially when it gets down to the judgment seat of Christ, their works right. are going to be burned up, but he himself shall be saved, Yeah. yet so as by fire. He flatly said, I don't know what this is talking about, so we're just going to move on. Can you believe that? No. In a sermon. I admire the fact he said, I don't know what it's talking about. I mean, if every believer's victorious, triumphant, and overcomer, their works are not going to be burned up. And, of course, they do allow Calvinists and Reformed and Lordship people allow for some sin in a person's life. Of course, they can't tell you how much you can sin and for how long before you know you're not saved. But they don't have a place in their theology for the carnal Christian. So for them, the carnal Christian is an unbeliever, or they mock us and say that we say a carnal Christian is someone who's in total rebellion against the Lord. Yeah. But I remember Hodges talking about this. The Corinthians were seeking to please God. They just were so immature that they were doing all the wrong things. And Hodges' point is, these people weren't like the prodigal son who was off in the far country. These people were part of the worshiping community. And we also, I think, need to be clear that a carnal believer doesn't just mean like an innocent baby in Christ. Right. This is kind of a condemning uh, situation. Is. Because verse 4 in chapter 3 says, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? And then, of course, he goes on to say other things they were doing, taking their brothers to the court, suing their brothers or uh, getting drunk at the Lord's table, etc. These are all things that a believer could do. But if they did, they're being carnal. And to say babes in Christ is really putting it in a nice way. Well, we do that, don't we? You know, with kids, if you've got a seven-year-old and you say, you're acting like a baby. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's a put down. Well, the same thing. If you're acting like a baby Christian, like a carnal Christian, that is a put down. It sure is. But it doesn't mean that the person is as terrible as they could be. It just means this person does not yet have the mind of Christ. This person is not mature. It could include, of course, people who are in the spiritual far country in rebellion, but it also includes people who have been baby Christians for 20 or 30 years, and they're just immature in their faith. Right. But they're still confessing Christ. They're still coming to church. So we we shouldn't just assume that all carnal Christians are in some sort of rebellion. You mentioned a while ago that one of the key distinctives— of not being carnal is that you've moved from milk to the meat yes. of God's word. Here's an example. In Hebrews 5.13, it says, Yes. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food, or I think the King James might say solid meat, yes. belongs to those who are of full age, mature, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. They've trained their interpreting skills, especially through the book of Proverbs and things like that, that help you learn to interpret God's Word through prayer, through study, depending on the Spirit. 
and they've gone on to the deeper things of God's Word. But what would be some of the deeper things of God's Word? Well, in Hebrews, what does he go on to talk about? About the inheritance and ruling with Christ. and Being his partners, his medical in the life to come. Right. That's a deeper, meatier kind of issue. And guess what? A lot of believers reject that kind of teaching. Absolutely. Just jumping in here to make you aware of our magazine, Grace in Focus. It is a bi-monthly, six issues per year, 48-page magazine, full color. And we want you to subscribe by emailing your name and your snail mail address to ges at faithalone.org. The subscription is free. It can be accessed electronically or it can be actually physically sent to you if you live in the lower 48 United States. That's our Grace and Focus magazine. Send your name and snail mail address to ges at faithalone.org. Another word that comes up a lot is decisionism. And some people from Lordship Salvation Camp say that we in the free grace, the focus free grace community, that we teach decisionism, which we definitely don't. But what in the world is decisionism, Steve? Well, decisionism would be like saying you've got to make a decision or that faith is a decision to believe in Christ even, that that's a decision. But the fact is, faith itself or belief isn't a decision. It's a passive response to the truth. What a lot of these people charge us with is that we're saying if people just walk an aisle, then they're saved forever. If they just raise their hand, they're saved forever. If they just check the box on the comment card, they're saved forever. Pray the sinner's prayer, they're saved forever. We don't say any of that. What we say is that faith is not a decision that faith is persuasion. Right. And an example would be in John eleven twenty five to 27, which I still remember you and I were playing golf at Tennyson back in about 88, 89. You were shooting four or five under par and I was shooting 30 over par. But anyway, it was fun. And we got to talking about John eleven twenty five to 27. And you pointed out how this was such a crucial passage. And that's where Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die physically, yet he will live physically. That's the promise of resurrection into the kingdom, glorified bodies. And then he who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's the promise of everlasting life. And then the Lord says to Martha, do you believe this? He's not asking her, have you walked the aisle? He's not asking her, have you prayed some prayer? He's not asking her if she made some sort of decision. He's saying... Are you persuaded this is true? In the moment, the very instant you're persuaded to the truth of the saving message. Right. That's when you believe, not when you made a choice to trust or anything like right. that. Right. That's clear in Acts 10 when Cornelius' household, they hear Peter preaching, and then when he concludes that to him all the prophets bear witness that through his name whoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. It says, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came upon yes. them. In other words, they were ready to hear the gospel. Yes. And as soon as they heard it, they believed. There didn't need to be any call to raise their hand or anything. As soon as they were persuaded, they believed it. The New Testament uses the word illumination quite a bit because that's what faith is. It's an illumination. One of Zane's favorite verses was 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's like God saying, let there be light. When the lights turn on for us to see the gospel is true, that's when we believed it, not one second later. That's a great point. I've read several leading New Testament scholars, even grammarians, 
who say that faith in Christ does not occur at a point in time, but it's continuous and it occurs over a lifetime. So they understand John 3.16 to say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever continuously believes in him until they die shall not perish but has everlasting life. So in their view, a person is not born again at a point in time, but they're born again when they die having persevered in faith. And logically, as you've pointed out, you can never have assurance with that kind of thought. Right. When you believed, you were sealed. At that moment, right. he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life right now, shall not come into condemnation, but has already passed from death into life. It's instantaneous at that millisecond of being persuaded. That's when you got eternal life. Okay, this is a good segue because in the next show, one of the expressions we're going to talk about is final salvation. But in the meantime, keep grace. And focus. Be our guest and subscribe to our 48-page magazine, six issues per year, also called Grace in Focus. It's free by emailing your name and snail mail address to ges at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. Maybe you've got a question or comment or feedback. If so, please send us a message. Here's our email address. It's radio at faithalone.org. That's radio at faithalone.org. And when you do, please make sure your question is as succinct and clear as possible. That would be a great big help. On the next episode, we wind up this week with a discussion about final salvation, lordship salvation, and perseverance of the saints. Please join us. And until then, let's keep grace in focus. The proceeding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.